0: Good morning, church. It's good to be with you uh, today. Uh, My name is Mark Duncan. I'm one of your pastors here. I'm a pastor of students at Harvest, and I'm so excited to get a chance to open God's Word with you today and share with you uh, about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You've been with us over the last few weeks. Uh, Or maybe perhaps this is your first week uh, here with us today. We've been going through a series in the book of Romans, chapter 8. So we're going to be looking in that chapter again today if you want to get a head start on turning there. Uh, But we have been looking at what it means to be a champion in Jesus Christ. And what His death and resurrection has afforded us uh, in Him. And so over the last few weeks we've looked at how that, that has given us freedom from condemnation. Uh, from the sin that has been in, in, in our lives and the effects of that. We are free of that condemnation. We, we stand before God in Christ, righteous. God sees us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are free from that sin. We have been given a new mindset in Christ, a new way of thinking about our life and our purpose that we have in this life and the access that we have to God the Father. And we've been given a new identity. We've looked at that for the last few weeks, and how it's no long, my life is no longer identified by my fears or by my failures, and I think many of us have had really good discussions in our life groups, uh, to be, really being honest about how we have let fear creep into our lives. We've not taken hold of that identity in Christ, and certainly last week we saw that our identity also comes as an heir alongside Jesus Christ, an heir of adopted son or daughter of God. We're heir to the kingdom. Uh, and Johnny sort of touched on that lightly. The exciting part for me today is I get to kind of go into that a little bit more uh, in detail, which I'm excited about. Uh, as we're talking about today, uh, the glory, the glory of what it means to be when I stand before God the Father and I take in the fullness of what it means to be that adopted son or daughter of God. But at the same time as we're going to talk about that, we're also going to look at something in real, a reality check, I guess, that comes along with it. It's that we're not there yet. We are waiting right now. We are waiting until that day, that final day, where we will realize that. And waiting is not something, if we are honest, that we do very well all the time, right? You know, I was thinking through, there's there's lots of different kinds of waiting uh, that we do, right? There's everyday waiting. You know, one of the first things that I wait on every single day is the coffee to make. Okay? I mean, those of you that know me, that's not a hard, that's not a hard, uh, you know, dot to connect there, right? Like, that's the first thing. I I get up, I start the coffee pot, and then I wait. You know, I don't have a Keurig, so I have the old kind that has to, like, bubble for a few minutes before it does anything, you know? And then I finally get that cup of coffee, you know, and and my day has started off right. I also wait, even in my own house, I have three girls in my house, so there's a very real struggle in waiting for a bathroom to be available on occasion. Uh, That is waiting uh, that happens every day. There's waiting when I get into my car to drive to the office, right, because there's stoplights that that come up and and slow me down. I have to wait in those, and we're kind of used to that sort of waiting, right, waiting in line at the bank, waiting every day, you know, for things to happen. But there's annoyed kind of a waiting as well, right? Like when you're going to work and then you get stuck in a traffic jam, right? That's not an expected kind of a wait. It delays your whole day. You know, there's waiting at the doctor's office. I have to be careful about this because my doctor goes to church here. He might get mad at me. But, you know, you go to the doctor's office and they tell you, get there 15 minutes before your appointment. You love that, right? And you get there early and you've got your little paperwork filled out. And then what do you do? You wait, Right? You wait, and you wait, and you wait. And you know, if, they, if it goes past the time of your appointment, no one ever comes out and says, we're so sorry that you had to wait longer, right? It's like, all right, now you can go back. And then when you get back to your room, they make you change into that little like, piece of paper that they call a shirt and have you sit on a table, and then what do you do? You wait some more, all right? Now you just feel even more awkward waiting around in this room by yourself in a piece of paper, you know? <laughs> Then you wait at the DMV, and don't get me started on that, right? Okay, it's like you go to the DMV, and you're in line for hours, and then when you get up there, the person looks like they want to kill you, all right? This is annoyed, annoyed waiting. But then there's, there's another kind, right? This excited, excited waiting, anticipating kind of waiting, right? Like waiting for family vacation that's coming up, you know, next week maybe. You know, you, you've got it on the calendar. You've known about it for months. You know, all the reservations have been made, and you got to get through that last work week, right? And and let's be honest, no one's getting anything done on that day before you leave, right? Let's just be honest with ourselves. Why? Because we're looking forward to something else that's coming. So my day is, I'm not even thinking about work, to be honest. I'm just there to get out of the door because I'm expecting something exciting to happen. What about waiting for that wedding day to come, Right? You know, there's a couple of couples in our church that are engaged and they're they're making plans. And yes, there's a lot of preparation, a lot of stress around planning a wedding perhaps, but that's un, it's underlying, that doesn't compare to what is going to happen, the motivation for all of that, but it's a waiting process until that day arrives, until until that moment when those double doors in the back of the church burst open and that bride walks through and everyone turns and looks at the groom and looks at the bride and there's like a collective like hush over the audience as he takes that in. The waiting has finished, right? There's there's an excited kind of waiting that happens. You know, there's also a lot of hard things that we wait on as well. Waiting on the results of a medical test or biopsy to come back that you didn't expect. You know, when you went to the doctor's office and you thought you were just going in for a regular checkup and you find out there's something else going on and you're waiting to find out what that is. Maybe you are in chronic pain and it's a reality that you live with on a daily basis and you're just waiting for something to take effect, to change that. A new medication perhaps, some new research to be done. It's hard waiting. Maybe you're waiting to hear from a wayward child that has left home And honestly, you're afraid that you might hear first from the police or from someone like that, but you're waiting, you're hoping. Maybe you just are the type of person, I think we all can say we've been here at times, you're just waiting for someone to care. You just feel so isolated, so alone, and you wish someone would just ask you, how can I help you, is everything okay? And you're just waiting for someone to reach out. This is hard waiting, isn't it? We're not really good at any kind of waiting. But it's even more difficult, I think, in situations like this where something really hard is happening. And we don't see an end in sight for what it might be. And yet we have to Wait. And so today, I want to leave us with some hope, okay? This is exciting stuff that we're getting into today. Yes, we have seasons of hard waiting. You may be in one of those today. All of us have experienced that on some level, no doubt, in this room. But there is hope in Jesus Christ of what is coming as we wait. We can be champions as we wait as well. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 8 if you haven't turned there already? We're going to be starting to read in verse number 18 today through verse number 25. This is what it says. Just read along with me. We're going to read the whole passage together on the front end. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, Inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. All right, so the first thing we're going to look at today, folks, as is, is we look at what it means to wait as a champ today, I said Christian suffering is present. But it is not permanent. All right? Christian suffering is present, but it is not permanent. I want to back up just a tad here and go back to verse number seventeen to give a little context, a little explanation uh, for where this is coming from. Remember, uh, we've just in the last part that we looked at here, we've just been declared children of God. We've been adopted. Uh, excuse me, verse sixteen: the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. right? the Holy Spirit's confirming that in us. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are heirs to the kingdom, right? Children of God. But this is the little tagline that's thrown on the end of that, little qualifying statement. Provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Okay, did you catch that? Like we have been pronounced heirs of God. The Spirit is confirming that. We are, we are heirs. We are heirs with Christ. Everything that is coming to, to Christ is coming to us as well. We get that, right? That that's, we have Christ has afforded that to us. But along with that comes the suffering with Him. Right? That's part of the fellowship that I have with Christ is to suffer. Like, wow, what a way to you know to fellowship together. Well, I want you to think about something. You know, if Christ had not suffered, we would have no grounds for fellowship with him, correct? Right, because he is holy, he's without sin, so, and, and even in spite of that, he's put on flesh. He put on flesh to come to us to experience what we experience on the day today, living in a sinful world that's broken, feeling the effects of that sin and that suffering and he willingly went to the cross to be obedient to God the Father. Why? To have fellowship with you and with me. And so anyone that would come alongside him would realize that's a, that's a call to not just follow, but it's a call to follow to my death even, to take up that cross, knowing that if Christ himself came under suffering, then I for sure, I for sure should expect that it's going to come my way as well. But the best part about it is, is that we know, and this is what verse 18 says, states to us is that Paul says, I consider that these sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, okay? Now let's pause there for a second because it could be very tempting to be like, you know, that's kind of an insensitive statement to say, Paul, okay? Do you not realize the things that are happening in my life? I want to give you a little context for who Paul is talking to here. Remember, he is writing to the Roman Christians, right, around about A.D. 58 or so. And if you know anything about Roman history in that time, you know that it was not a great place to be as a Christian. Okay, there was very real persecution going on. In fact, it wasn't just a few years removed from the writing of this letter that the emperor Nero set the whole city of Rome on fire and then promptly pushed all the blame on the Christians for it to save face. And as such, he was able to legally justify public executions for Christians. Horrific things, throwing people into the lions in the the arena to watch for sport. You know, doing things like dipping Christians into wax and putting them up on lamp and using them as human lampposts at night by lighting them on fire. Terrible, terrible things. Okay, so I want to say that to make sure that we aren't taking the sufferings that we have experienced and somehow saying, that doesn't apply to me, you don't know what I'm going through, to realize they were in some pretty serious suffering right then when he's writing this. And he's he's only giving attention to that in like, Half of that verse, all right? I consider the sufferings of this present time. All right, just think about the weight of that statement. And then what he follows up with that with, are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Now, that's, a, that's a big, big statement, okay? You're, the sufferings that we experience, the, suffer, the sufferings that we have in our life, and, and remember, these sufferings are a result of sin, that's in the world, That sin that's in my life, sins that I do cause suffering. You know, James McDonald often says, you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. I think that's a great statement. But you know what? Your choices to sin also affect me as well. Like, right? your choices to sin cause me to suffer. The world that I live in, because all of us are sinners, as Romans says earlier in the book, it's a broken system. It's a broken world. You know, it's full of sin, and it's suffering, right? Because I'm, I'm experiencing that suffering as a result of my sin, uh, it, it, he's like, "That's nothing to compare. What's going to happen? It's like it's not even in the same category. You know, it's not comparing apples to oranges, right? My suffering to the glory that will, will be revealed. No. He's like, it's, it's not comparable. It's like trying to compare dirt to Ferraris or something, right? Like not even the remotely the same thing. He's like, so you think about, and I don't know where you are this morning. You know, I know that there are a lot. A lot of us are hurting, right?" You think about the deepest, darkest valley that you've walked through, or maybe you're in right now, and it feels like it could not get any darker, any deeper. But then you take that as the framework, as a standard, if you will, and say, if that's as deep and dark as this sin is going to take me, how much more amazing is it going to be when I stand before God, complete, complete, in him and I have the sudden realization in that moment of everything that it was that Christ afforded to me when he made me an heir with him and I have a full realization of what it means to be a child of God when I take all that in and I have the full realization of what it means to be complete that's not going to even be on my radar anymore it's going to wipe all of that away and all it's going to do is come back around and say praise God give him the glory look what he has done because I know what I came from. This isn't to minimize our suffering at all. Paul's not trying to be insensitive to Roman Christians. In fact, Paul himself was going to be killed in Rome not too long after this writing. He's just trying to paint a picture. It's like the suffering is not the point of this life. The suffering is expected. That comes along with the fellowship that we have in Christ. When you choose to follow Jesus with your life, it's not an easy road, right? There will be pushback on that. It will be hard for you. Just living in this world that is broken is hard on us. It hurts. We suffer. We're in pain. Paul's not saying it's not, it's, there's no pain there, right? Paul's not even saying, like, if you don't deal with the same things that the Romans are dealing, you're not suffering. He's not doing that either. You know, and by the way, that's important to say, like it comparing suffering is not a not a worthy thing to do, right? In my experience, pain is pain. Can we just call it what it is? He's saying, like, regardless of the pain that you're in, regardless of the suffering, it is not in the same framework of mind of what was waiting on us when we stand before him complete. Isn't that an amazing promise? Isn't that a beautiful thing? That word glory just speaks to like the fullness of the knowledge of God, it's like that moment when you step on like a, a beautiful vista and you look over the edge and maybe the sun comes up and it's like takes your breath away in that moment. You ever had an experience like that? It's like that. It's only like a millionfold, right? Because it's the sum, like the sum totals of the suffering in my life have been building. If I can think of that like a pile of suffering that's been building my life, the deeper, the darker it's got only means that the glory is that much greater, that's what we have to look forward to in Christ. My suffering only makes me anticipate that glory more. doesn't mean that my suffering was pointless. That's why there's more glory. Because even in spite of the suffering, in spite of the pain, He still brought me to that day of completion when I stand in Him. That's what I look forward to, right? That's the hope that I have in Jesus Christ of what is coming. And we need to kind of expound on that a little bit to say this is the next thing this morning, that Christian hope, and that's what it is, it's a hope. Christian hope is for redemption, not simply for relief, all right? Christian hope is for redemption, not simply for relief. I want you to turn back with me there to verse number 19 and read this part again. For the creation waits with an eager longing, all right? He says, creation personified. For the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, uh, verse 22, for we know the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now, right? Even creation is affected by our sin, right? We've looked at this. If you go back to Genesis 3, you can read uh, the curse that came upon man when Adam and Eve first chose to go against what God had said, and they partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, even though God said, do not do that, because in the day that you do that, you will surely die. But they listened to a lie, a lie that we all too often listen to ourselves, which says, you know, I've heard what you said, God, but I believe that I know better. I believe I know what's best for me, and they took of that fruit and in doing so, not only did they cause themselves to begin to physically decay and to die and to spiritually be separated from God, but it also had an effect on everything in this world. Right? There were now thorns that were growing. You know Adam was going to have to work and, and deal with thorns as he's planting things. Stuff animals were dying, trees were dying. You know, the, the environment was not the way that it should be. And it's no joke. We can, it's not hard for us to look around and see the effects of that curse on this world today, am I right? We look around the world to see natural disasters that are happening left and right. Tragic, tragic things. I mean, it almost feels like at times that creation itself is against us. That's a result of our sin. That's a result of sin that is at work in this world that that is happening. You look at things like threat of war and terrorism and mass shootings and terrible stuff like that and you see sin is at work in this world around us. And creation, it uses this picture... Of being groaning together in the pains of childbirth, it 's like the collection of create, creation together is just it's like a woman that's about to have a baby, and she 's just screaming, screaming in pain because of, she knows if you, I can just get to that point, it's going to be okay, but for now it hurts so bad. And I just wanted to stop and I want it to go away and I want it to be over with that's our world. Our world is screaming. Get us to that day. I want to see that day when the sons and the daughters of God stand before him complete, because I know when that happens, this world will be restored, and I won't be in turmoil anymore, and things will be different. I can't think of a more encouraging promise than what Jesus said at the end of Revelation 21, that behold, I am making all things new, and to realize that that does just not affect me and and you, but that it also affects our world. That there's a new heaven and a new earth that he is making. And he won't have any of, of the remnants of what was hap- what's happened in this world in it. But something completely new that we can enjoy. Something completely new that gives him all the glory. Creation itself is, is yearning for that. Groaning for that. But not only creation. Look at verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We are groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And I think that one is something we can definitely relate to in those times when we we feel like things aren't as they should be. You know what that is? When we we see injustice in the world, when we feel pain in our bodies, that's a God-given alert mechanism (laughs) that things aren't the way that they should be. Think about that. That is, in in God's grace, He is alerting our hearts that things are not supposed to be this way. There has to be something better than this. I don't know how many of you, and I I think we can maybe again relate to this, how many of you, when you, you came to understand what Jesus did on the cross, and you put faith in Him as your Lord and Savior, how many of you came to that understanding because you were in a moment of intense suffering, And your heart was crying out to you that this can't be all that there is. This can't be the point of my life to to get up day after day and to go through this pain and hope that it works out in the best, you know? It can't be found in solutions where maybe if I just get more money, maybe if I get a better job, maybe if I move to a different place, maybe if I try a new medication, that can't be all that there is, really? Really? It's that little alert mechanism that's speaking, and they're telling you, "No, it's not how it's supposed to be." It's that groaning that's inside, saying, "There has to be something more. There has to be something more." Well, the encouraging part is that there is something more, right? And this is how, this is how Christians, people that have. A relationship with Jesus Christ can weather some of the most intense seasons of suffering and not only make it through the other side but in the midst of it give glory to God you know what and from the outside for someone that doesn't have that relationship with Christ it often comes across as being like well these Christians are just a bunch of pie-in-the-sky Starry-eyed people that have no idea of what it means to live in this world. And I can't tell you, that could not be further from the truth. As we see here, you know, saw in verse number 17, we expect to suffer because we know Jesus Christ. We realize that in the suffering, that actually draws us closer to Him. We have a greater understanding of who He is because we suffer with Him. But the reason that we're able to get through is because we have hope in something that's coming later. And He uses the words, the redemption of our bodies. See, a lot of times when we're hurting, we, want the, we just want the pain to stop. I mean, even as, as a kid, when you, you cut your finger, right, what did you do? You ran inside, and you got your mom or your dad to put on the medicine, put a band-aid on it, and like kiss it, right? Like that was like the, that's how you do it, right? I mean, we go through a lot of band-aids in my house. There's not even like wounds, you know? It's just like, my finger hurts. Well, put a band-aid on it, you know? Something about that band-aid psychologically that, like, solves every problem, right? I got a Band-Aid, I'm, I'm good to go, you know? The, the, immediately the tears are dried up and I'm fine. Um, unfortunately, we take that idea of a Band-Aid and we apply it as adults as well. Like, we're looking for Band-Aids all the time. We're looking for relief. Like, how do I make, okay, how do I make the pain stop? This is the suffering that I'm in. So let me do a little power of deducing here. Uh, The solution to solve this suffering is bam, you know. And I and I'll try this, you know. I'll try this relationship, that will fix the suffering that's in my heart, you know. I'll try, you know, pursuing a a better career so I can make more money because if I have more money, then I will suffer less, right? Like we, we believe these little band aid solutions will fix the problem. The problem isn't. The suffering. The problem is the part inside that came that would cause the suffering, which is the sin problem. Which if we got our eyes fixed on Christ, we know that part's already taken care of. We know we're not under condemnation anymore. That part is done. I am free from that. So why in the world am I sitting here trying to put band-aids on things that don't matter in the long run? Because in the end it's it's more about what's gonna happen at the end of this time than what happens now. This isn't about relief, it's about redemption. I love what it says there, redemption of our bodies. And I think that's significant as well because a lot of times we think about heaven, we think about being with, with God face to face. It's a glorious time and it most certainly is but we oftentimes forget that there is also not only a spiritual newness that has happened in that moment where we're with God but He redeems our bodies as well. Like God didn't, didn't make our bodies as like throwaway type of things. You thought about that? Like he doesn't just care about our spirit; he cares about the whole us. He spoke us into existence. He formed Adam out of the dust of the ground into something completely new that had never existed. In God's eyes, this body is very valuable. So much so that when He is, says He's making all things new, He's not just giving me a new home; He's made a new. He's making a new body that is free of pain, that's free from the effects of sin, that's free. From the effects of suffering in my life. A body that works the way that it should. That doesn't, go, doesn't get old. That doesn't break down. That doesn't get tired. He's redeeming everything. The redemption of my body. What an amazing promise. Some of us here today. Some of the greatest suffering that we have going in our life right now. is a result of things in our body. That are not working the way that they should. And we're keenly aware of that. Every day when we get up. And that same pain is there. You know, when we're going to the doctor and the medicine doesn't seem to be working, we're aware of that. This hope continues on. It, it's, it's, in, it's not just redeeming me and giving me a destination. It's redeeming and giving me a new body as well. It's an amazing promise. But why do we satisf- are we satisfied so often just to seek relief when there's redemption waiting for us on the other end? It's got a little list here compares, comparing like, the way that we think when we're desiring relief versus redemption. Here, relief says, first off, make the suffering stop so I can get on with my life. That's what relief says. Make the suffering stop so that I can get on with my life. This is disrupting my life. This isn't my life. This is keeping me from my life. Redemption says my suffering only assures me of how much greater my future is. All right. Re- someone who's got their eyes fixed on being redeemed says, this suffering is part of my story, but it's a part of the story that's going to give God much more glory when I stand before him. It's not, a, it's not an obstacle. It's not something that's keeping me from experiencing life. This is what I, what I expected to happen. This is what I expected to happen because someday God's going to make it right. There's another one. Relief says, ultimate satisfaction is found when I'm not suffering right? my ultimate satisfaction I'm at my best when I'm not suffering that's my top desire redemption says my ultimate satisfaction is found in Christ's victory over sin nothing could make me happier than realizing and focusing on what has been afforded to me because of Jesus Christ on the cross that's what gets me going that's what I'm excited about that's what I'm looking forward to relief says there's nothing good that could come from suffering But redemption says my suffering brings me closer to Christ and my future in Him. This is fellowship. This is an opportunity for me to have an understanding of Christ that I did not have before when I come to Him broken again afresh and say, help me. Put your loving arms around me. Walk with me through this. I want to have my eyes fixed on what's coming. Relief says suffering is ending my story. But redemption says my story doesn't end in defeat because it's part of God's story. This is God working through in in the amazing way that he does this to redeem even the hard, horrible things in my life as a means to not only bring glory to himself, but to grow me in the process to grow my dependency upon Him, to, to, to help me tap into that strength that's available to me in the Spirit as I trust Him through a time of intense suffering. See, relief, all it is, seeking relief is just a coping mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. What's the band-aid that I can put on this situation so that I can get on with my life? That's, what's, that's what only seeking relief does. See, redemption is hoping. Redemption is hoping. It's hoping based on a promise from someone that I know. But It's realizing there's a weight that's happening, right? And that's, that's the hard part. Let me ask you this question today. If you knew tomorrow that your life would change in some amazing way, maybe you have a, a rich relative, perhaps, that, that died and was going to leave you some kind of an inheritance. Maybe you knew that tomorrow you were going to receive that check and your life was going to be completely altered Tomorrow, would that have any bearing on how you lived your life today? I think it probably would, right? <laughs> you might go ahead and like, start making some calls. You know, start you know, searching the, uh, the pages of a listing book so you can find something uh, in your new price range, right? I think you'd probably take some action on that information, right? Because you knew this is what's happening, this is what's coming. So today, this is how I'm going to live. Well, just like that, we know what is coming. We know that because God said it, it's a done deal. Because God keeps his promises. He had a whole history of keeping his promises. Go back and look through the Bible, no problem. He keeps his word. He does what he says he'll do. He's going to come and he's going to redeem. How's it going to affect me today while I'm in this waiting? And this is the last thing for us this morning. Christian endurance, because that's what it is. It's endurance. Christian endurance is expectant waiting, not empty wishing. It's expectant waiting, not empty wishing. Look at verse number 24. For in this hope, what hope? That hope that we are going to be redeemed because of Christ. In this hope, we were saved. That is how we begin a relationship with Christ. We put our life in his hands, take on his righteousness before God the Father, and hold on to that promise of redemption. This hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience. I just want to clarify the difference in the kind of hope that we have as Christians versus we throw that word hope out a lot, right? Like I hope that I'm going to eat lunch this afternoon. That's not a very like strong, it's a very strong possibility, right? I'm not putting a lot of like really hoping that it's going to happen. I'm fairly sure it's going to happen, right? I'm I'm hungry, you know, I think I'm going to eat some lunch. Uh, but there's a lot of times we hope we have no idea of what's going to come. I, here, I thought of this illustration. There's a difference in hoping uh, and waiting on a friend who's told you they're going to come and visit. And you have they know what flight they're going to arrive at the airport. So you're at the airport, and you're waiting on the flight to arrive. And you've got your balloons. Maybe you've got a sign, welcome home type of thing, and you're waiting at the end of the arrivals hallway, okay? There's that kind of waiting with hope, right? Like, I, your hope is, is, is grounded in the relationship you have, that they didn't lie to you when they told you they were getting on the plane, right? And that they're going to be there when they get off the plane. That, that's one kind of hope, right? They've told me they're coming. Here's, here's the door. I'm, I'm ready to go. There's another kind of hope. We have a guy that I, this is why i don't get on cruise ships anything on the on the water scares me like to death okay so this is like my worst nightmare you have someone that's out in the middle of the ocean on a life raft by themselves okay they have no oars they have no food there's nothing in, in no ships in sight and they're just sitting there floating hoping but they have no reason to believe that anyone knows that they're there or that anyone is coming for them they don't have a paddle they don't, they don't, they don't, they're don't. they like, maybe I could try shouting louder. I don't think that's going to do any good. What a miserable kind of hope, right? That's not a hope that's built on a relationship. That's not a hope that's built on a promise. That's a hope that's wishing and hoping that something is going to work. And that is the natural way before we come to Christ, how we try to deal with things in our life. When they go wrong, we're saying, I hope someone can fix this. It's not right. Don't you see that this isn't right? I hope that there's some solution to this problem. And we keep trying things. We keep throwing things against the wall to see if something will stick. And it's just like drifting out in the middle of the ocean without hope. When what we have in Jesus Christ is the kind of hope that we know. My friend, my father has told me he will make all things new. He will come again. He will redeem me. In this life, I am waiting on him because I know him. I know his character. I know what he says he will do. So I'm waiting expectantly. And so my life is going to look very different in the midst of suffering. I'm not focused on the depth of my suffering. I'm focused, eyes fixed ahead, on what is awaiting me in the future in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean that I check out from this world either, does it? Because I'm here for a reason. This is a a quote from C.S. Lewis from Mere Christianity, and I love this quote. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things that a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next the apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in, aim at earth and you will get neither. See what it means to be a Christian living in light of what is to come is a confident life. A Christian that sees, like, how do I how do I wait expectantly in the hope that I have in Christ? Well, I, I look at I have to do a little self examination, right? You know, and realize are there is there something else that I am trying to find relief in? You know, be honest with myself. Am I, am I putting my hope into something else? You know, because if I'm doing that, I'm not going to be very effective in this world. If I'm trying to use the means of this world to solve my problems, to ease my suffering, that's not going to get me anywhere. To endure, to make it to the end, to stand before him and behold that glory, it's going to take endurance. I've got to make sure my eyes are fixed on him, that he is my hope, that I'm not my own savior. I can pray for strength to look beyond my suffering to the future, and sometimes that's all you can do in the middle of suffering, right? I'm by no means want to... Make you think that I am minimizing the suffering that you're going through. There's been very many times where all I could do was just call out to God and say, Help. And I have a more intelligible response than that. Help me believe. Help me see that hope in Christ because it really, really hurts right now. But to know that He hears that prayer, He's a loving Father. He would take you in his arms, even today, if you're going through something today, if that would be your prayer, and he would wrap his arms around you and assure you that you are his and assure you of that future. I also need to realize I need to be confessing my sin, especially if I have sinned against someone else, and I have, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally caused suffering in their life, that I would be an agent of change that would reach out and say, I am sorry, that... I am sorry for my, how my sin affected you. But Jesus came to give us freedom from our sin. And by his, by his grace, praise God, I've been forgiven. And I have something to look forward to because of that. You can also look for opportunities to use my suffering as a means of sharing hope with someone else. And I don't think there are any times where I've gone through something hard where I raised my hand and I said, Yes, sign me up for more of that. But at the same time, realize, and I I would never have seen this on the front end, how God would have used an intense time of suffering to shape my need for him and to shape the way that I can minister to someone else, not just as a pastor, but as a friend, as a neighbor, to come alongside and say, I know what it feels like to hurt. And I know what it feels like to want it to stop. Can I share with you the hope that I have when I'm going through that kind of a situation? Look for opportunities to share that. Seek out the suffering. I kind of be the last one there. Seek out the suffering. You know, sometimes people that are hurting, uh, we don't really feel comfortable around them. It's it's not a it's kind of a natural response almost. We can recognize someone is hurting. We kind of divert the other way. you are like, I don't really know that I want to get involved in that. Looks well, kind of rough. But as Christians, we should realize that suffering is part of this world. It's part of this world that God is going to redeem in Christ. I need to run to the suffering. I need to make myself available to them to speak to their heart the hope that I have in Christ so that they can hear that and know and believe and understand it. Don't waste your suffering, but wait expectantly. Would you close your eyes for a second? I know there are many of us here today who are in all different areas as it comes to suffering. We are, we've experienced it. We are experiencing it. If we haven't experienced it yet, we soon will. But by God's grace, we have victory in Christ over our suffering. The redemption of our bodies, the redemption of this world. He's in the, the, rede- the redeeming business. That's what he does. So today let me ask you, where is your hope? Is your hope in some kind of crazy juggling act where you're trying to keep everything in balance on your own and you're looking for every kind of band-aid to put on the pain to make it go away? It's a scary place to be. You feel like you're drifting out on a sea and no one hears cries no one feels or knows what you're going through let me ask you this have you have you started that relationship with Jesus Christ because if you know him if you had trusted if you have trusted him as your Lord and Savior your hope should lie in him For those of that stand here today that say, I know that truth. I believe that truth. Jesus is my hope. Redemption is what I'm looking forward to. That today you would do a little self-examination and call out any of those, those idols, those distractions. If you're in the middle of suffering today, that you would use that as a means to see, wow, if that is as bad as things can get in life. How much more exciting? How much more will the glory be when I stand before God, complete in Jesus? Our hope is not a feeling, it's a filter. Our hope is a filter. You know, just like if you put on glasses and you look, it changes what you see. Our hope is a filter for the world that we live in to seek out the suffering you know, in my own life to realize this is part of God's story as he's bringing glory to him. Do you see that today? Do you have that hope this morning?